0: You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. All right, take your Bible. I've got a lot of of ground to cover this morning, but I wanna start. In Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. You're going to try to keep up with me in the sound booth. That's great. Hebrews 13, 7. I'm going to be speaking to you in a few messages concerning spiritual authority. How you get spiritual authority. How you keep your spiritual authority intact how you use it against the devil, sickness and disease, Amen. how you use spiritual authority for your good. Now, Wednesday night, how many of you were here Wednesday night? Okay, Now what I want you to do, the rest of you ask these people what I said Wednesday night. Because <laughs> I don't wanna have to cover it all again here this morning. <laughs> but this is a little pick up on what we talked about Wednesday night. Wednesday night we reestablished the five-fold ministry from the scriptures, we looked at them as the giftings, the, what, it, what the Bible calls the ascension gifts, meaning that when Christ rose from the dead, he ascended on high and gave gifts unto men. And the gifts he gave were five primary gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And this is how Jesus manifests himself to his church today. I'm not going to say it's the only way but it is the authoritative way he, he manifests himself to his church. It's not the only way, you, you might have a vision of Jesus that doesn't include Pastor Ann, but, but, but the primary way he manifests himself in authority to his church is through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, because this is the gift of Christ himself. Remember, we looked at the, the, the word up. It was, not the, it was not the word charis, meaning gifting. It was the word dorea, meaning G- the gift, or doma also is another one of those words. It means to, to give a gift, a principal gift, that Christ himself is a gift to you. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is your primary gift? Yeah. Well, he shows himself in authority terms, in ther- terms of authority, as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to you. And that's why this church has always been, from, from my, my understanding, even before I came to know the people here, has always been connected to apostolic ministry on some level. And uh, a five-fold ministry, praise God. Now, having said that, I want you to understand that there are some great blessings and benefits. But before we get to the ble- blessings and benefits, I want to look at the responsibilities of every believer concerning this, concerning our relationship to the five-fold ministry. Listen to this. Remember them which have the rule over you. Which have the rule over you. Now, not every translation puts it that way. But if you look it up in the Greek, this is the best translation of it. I love the King James Bible because it's right most of the time. Can I say most of the time, yeah. every English translation has flaws. Yep. A, it's a very difficult thing to translate from the Hebrew and Greek into English. But the best one I believe is the KJV. Now you may have an opinion, but I have a microphone. And uh, <laughs> remember them. Remember them, which have the rule over you, the rule over you. Them that have the rule over you. Let's, 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 let's make a friend of that phrase by saying it. Them that have the rule over you. Now, Americans don't like this kind of talk. And I know I happen to be in America. Although it's Oklahoma, it's still America. And Americans don't like this kind of talk. Especially in Oklahoma because we carry our guns showing. <laughs> You're right, I mean. It's hard to think about somebody ruling over us. We don't want nobody ruling over us. Who rules over us? Well, this says those who have taught you the Word of God. Those who teach you the Word of God should be in rule over you. I didn't write it. it. I just found it. (laughs) Those who really have spiritual rule over you are those that teach you the Word of God. And it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith... Follow, so there's two points here. Remember them and follow them. How many of you know that sometimes you reach points in your life where you just don't know what to do? You reach points you're like, well, I don't know what to do. I had a young fellow call me the other day. He uh, was one of my students and he wound up being a part of the church in McKinney hey. under Pastor Eric. And he said, I had a situation, he said, I had a situation come up and he said, all I could think of, what would Pastor John do? No, I was flattered by that. But I, I'm, I'm not one to push my authority on you. But, but when you are submitted to authority, that's how your heart thinks. Thinks, what would he do or what would she do, that one that, that, God, that spoke the word of God to me? You think, what would they do? Because you're really looking for what would Jesus do? Yeah. Right. WWJD. Yeah. Right. Some of, I saw some of you wearing the bracelets. How many of you wore the WWJD bracelet? Yeah, you did. You wore it. Yeah, because you won't know what Jesus will do. Very often you're gonna find what Jesus would do in the pastor. Yeah. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, very often you're gonna find what Jesus will do in your pastor. Amen. All right, thank you. Y'all must be Democrats on this side or something, I don't know. Just kidding, just kidding, a little joy. Remember those who have the rule over you? Follow those who have the rule over you. First of all, we have to acknowledge that there are people that rule over us in the kingdom of of heaven. It's the will of God for you to understand that there are people in the kingdom of God that rule over you. And it says those who who teach and preach the word of God to you, who have spoken to you the word of God. Now, would you take your Bible and turn down to verse 17? Roll down to verse... Oh, wait a minute. Before we go to 17, look at verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Why would that verse be behind verse 7? Why would he come up with that right out of verse 7? He's telling you something important. Jesus never changes. He rules over you through those who teach you the word, and that will never change. His way of doing business will never change. You think you think there's going to come a time where you don't need to go to church, don't need to sit under the Word? That will ne- No, Jesus will never change. You know, we've used this against our, our family members through the years, all of us have, <laughs> who don't believe in miracles. <laughs> the Bible said Jesus Christ the same yesterday. If He ever worked miracles, He still does. How many of you know that's okay? That's okay to use that verse like that? But that's not what it's talking about. You're not talking about Jesus working miracles. Here in this context, it's talking about how Jesus rules over His church. He's always done it through delegated authority. Amen. Remember and follow them. In verse 17, look down at verse 17. Obey them. What? What's the phrase? Obey. Which have the rule over you. Oh, this is uncomfortable. I know it chafes you a little bit, you American Jew. <laughs> Ugh, stop talking about somebody ruling over me. I don't want have it. Obey them which have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. So obey and submit. Obey and submit. Do You know, obedience is one thing, but submission is another thing. Obedience is an action. Submission is an attitude. It's not enough to obey. It's only enough to want to obey. I'm going to do it, but I don't like it. Well... If that's the best you can do, do it. Right. <laughs> if that's the best you can do, do it. There ought to come a time where you get a submissive heart toward those who are in authority. Yeah, so good. Not a rebellious heart against those who have, have authority. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves to those that have the rule over you. Now he's not saying to, to be weird about this. Let me tell you where the lines of authority stop with somebody like me and Miss Ann. Our lines of authority stop if we try to get you to do something that's unscriptural. We try to get you to do something that's illegal. We try to get you to do something that's immoral. We have no authority there. But as long as you're being taught the Word of God, everybody with me? I don't teach you what I want. That's how cults get formed. But we can't throw all of these truths of submission out because there's such a thing as cults. Everybody hearing me? You submit yourselves to those who have the rule over you. That is, those who've taught you the Word. The day I stop teaching you the Word, stop submitting. Stop obeying. Call the cops. Do something. Just stop. Okay? When I start just giving you my opinion about everything, like happens in about 90% of most churches, you just get opinion. And they don't dare to teach these things because it feels like when a preacher preaches this, it feels like he's trying to garner authority. Did I just talk to somebody right there? When a preacher preaches this, it feels like to some people that, well, he just he just trying to magnify his office. No, I'm not trying to do that at all. But I'm unafraid of teaching the Bible. Amen. Okay. We're going to teach the Bible. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for why? 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 They're watching out for your soul. That's right. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. (laughs) They must give account for you. Oh, wow, wow. That's going to come a a time when I've got a few guys through the years who were unsubmissive. And I know we're going to be standing before Jesus, and Jesus is going to ask me about them. A couple of them I can think of right off. I'm not going to ever tell you who they are, so just relax. (laughs) They're not here. here. One of them is dead. So... (laughs) One of them is dead. bitterness does terrible things to people. I, uh, I'm going to be standing there, and they're going to be there by me, and Jesus is going to say, "What about what about this guy?" I'm going to say, "Lord, he left me. He left me without without peaceable means. Well, Why? What did he do? Uh, he went and started his own thing, and he was." Very rude about it, I I have to tell you. Well, why'd he do that, sir? Uh, You might have to ask him directly because he told me you said for him to do that. (laughs) I don't have to give him no more account. My account ends right there. You understand? Same way with you and your kids the people that work for you, all of us have realms of, of authority, and we are going to have to give account for the authority that we have, but let's admit it. Let's admit it. Everybody is under authority by choice. We're all under authority by choice. We talked about this last week. Everything is a choice. Slavery is a choice. Being under authority is a choice. Rebellion is a choice. Everything is a choice. You're here. Did anybody Did anybody knock on your door this morning and handcuff you and drag you to church? No, you're here because you choose to be here. Nobody makes Miss Anthony come, come, come here. No, they, they, we can't be forced to do anything we don't want to do. We're here by choice. Under the authority of this leadership here. Under the authority of Almighty God. Just like you're under authority. We all do this by choice. And that's what makes it a beautiful sacrifice. Because you're not forced to be under authority. You're just told to be and you decide to do it. Amen. That's a beautiful sacrifice to the Lord. He receives that as worship. Amen. As worship. Glory to God. My, my pastor, I'm going to tell you a long story here in a few minutes about this man. Came into my life in 1989. His name is James E. Hester. Dr. James E. Hester was one of those Baptists back in the 70s. What got Holy Ghost filled and started speaking in tongues. Did that surprise you at all? Because the word Baptist and tongues don't really go in the same sentence. <laughs> he had good Baptist theology and got baptized in the Holy Ghost and started speaking in other tongues and had himself a revolution in life. A major change. He became my pastor through a series of events that I'll tell you about in a few minutes. i to tell you about one day. He called me and said, John... I want you to go to uh, Mississippi and try to get this boy in your, in your network of churches. That went so sour with me, it made me so mad. He told me the guy's name, gave me his phone number. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm trying not to let my anger and displeasure show. Yes, sir. I was being obedient, but I was not submissive. I, just, I said obedience is okay if you can't submit. Just go ahead and be obedient. The Bible does not say you're going to eat the good of the land by being obedient. It says you're going to be eat the good of the land by being willing and obedient. I know a lot of obedient Christians that are so angry with God they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, and they're not get, eating, eating any of the good of the land because their heart's not right. Submission and willingness. And I was fighting it. I took it all down, and I did exactly what he told me. I I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir." and slammed down the phone. (laughs) Walked away, and my wife said, what's the matter? I said, that's Pastor Jim. She said, well, what'd he say? I said, he told me to go to Mississippi, try to get this guy in my fellowship, and I don't do that. I'm not drafting anybody. I let let relationships build and grow as God makes them happen, and I I can't believe he's acting like a Baptist and making me do it this way. Did I do that or not? Man, it went all over me. I hate that, that kind of religious kind of stuff that I thought was, I was right. it, I was right. And she said, why don't you just shut up? What? You know you're gonna do what he told you to do. You know you're gonna do it. I, I know I'm gonna do it, but I'm, I'm mad. She said, well, just shut up. I don't wanna hear it. If you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it, go. So I did it. I got on a plane. Now uh, We're non-denominational, but this is my apostle. There was nothing in the law that said I had to do it. But I did it. I spent the money on a plane ticket. Flew out to Mississippi. You can't even fly directly there, hardly. I mean, you've got to, no, it's, it's just a mess. You've got to jump this puddle and jump that puddle and jump that puddle and finally arrive there in this little... It's a mess. Anybody here know where where West Point, Mississippi is? If you know anything about that, uh, what's that uh, that hunting stuff they sell at Walmart? huh? Mossy Oak. Mossy Oaks are there. That's about all they have there. And I got there, this guy meets me, Pastor John, and I'm thinking, Lord, how am I gonna do this? How am I not gonna walk on my own principles and still be obedient. Because I don't draft, I don't, do not try to recruit anybody to be a part of what I'm doing. Either God's going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to play those games. I was just there out of pure, sheer gut level obedience. This big old guy comes running out, Pastor John, I've heard all about you, and hugged me. I said, oh, this is sweet. We get in his car. He's about six foot four, big, big, tough looking kid. All right, praise God. He said, so tell me about this network. I really want to be a part of what you're doing. I went, all my anxieties went away. Because that's an open door that I look for. I didn't have to bring it up. I didn't have to try to do anything. He asked, are you hearing me? The Lord just worked it all out. Just, just because I obeyed. And then I had to repent for being mad. <laughs> it all just went away. It turned out to be a great relationship. Watch for your souls as they that must give account. One of the ways you best obey God is just by obeying those who have the rule over you. Then verse 24, look at this. Salute all them. Down verse 24. Salute all them that have the rule over you. With all the, with all the saints, they of Italy salute you. You know what the, the word comes from? As Aspazomai. Aspazomai, this is the Greek word for salute. Aspazomai, and it's A-S-P-A-Z-O-M-A-I. Aspazomai. It means to enfold in the arms. Now it's used to mean to greet, salute, all kinds of things, but its actual meaning, aspazomai, actually means to enfold or to embrace and hug. To enfold in the arms. Meaning of the word. That means, that means it's hard to embrace somebody and be mad at them. <laughs> it's hard to do. When you're mad and you embrace somebody, it almost instantly begins to go away. This says that the believers are supposed to have these attitudes. Now, what's now this? Follow, remember them, and follow them. Isn't it interesting how the church expects also oftentimes the preacher to follow culture in his preaching rather than the church demanding of themselves to follow what the preacher is preaching from the word? Wow. Isn't it amazing how often, isn't it often how often the modern church, rather than obeying the pastor, get mad that the pastor doesn't obey them? <laughs> yeah. But we thought he should do this. Well, I, we thought he should do that. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm warning you not to go that way. I'm not, I, you don't do that. You don't, none of you do that. But if they do it, they're not monsters. They're just ordinary people like us. It's easy for anybody to go that way. Yeah. That's what history tells us. Anybody can become stupid. Yeah. Religiously stupid. Yeah. They're stupid, and then there's religious stupid. Then yeah. the third thing, Notice, greet and embrace. You know what? It says that the church is supposed to seek out that, those leaders and embrace the rule, those who have the rule over you. You know how many people have gotten mad because the preacher didn't shake their hand? When, they, when the onus in Scripture is on the believer, the church member, not on the leadership. Am I reading it wrong or am I reading it Right. I'm not trying to not do my job. I'm not saying that at all. My job is to teach you the Word of God. Miss Anne's job is to teach you the Word of God. Your job is to obey, greet, remember, and follow. That's what it says. But I don't expect that of anybody that I'm not willing to do. I treat my pastor this way too. He doesn't get out very much. These these kids here have known me for a long time. How I honor the man, how I respect him, how I make him... (coughs) under Jesus. He's the fourth, per, fourth person of the Trinity, if you ask me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do what the man tells me to do. I'll tell you how I met him, how it was important for me to meet this man. In 1989, I was invited by John Osteen to come and celebrate 50 years of ministry of John Osteen. For you young people, that was Joel Osteen's dad. And Joel Osteen's ministry it's what it is, largely because of his dad's ministry. And his dad was a deep Bible teacher. He wasn't just a smiler and a sweet guy like Joel is. Joel, I, now, listen, I'm not opposed to Joel Osteen. I don't want anybody here to think that I have anything against him. But, you know, if I want deep Bible study, I don't turn to his channel. I, I go someplace else. Joel is for the broad masses. Okay? And sometimes you just want to be encouraged. Turn him on. He's going to bless your heart. Amen. He's going to smile and be sweet to you and say, you can make it. Oh, you can make it today. You just stay happy in the Lord. You know, I, I love the guy. I'm, I really do. I'm in. Not opposed to him at all. I know he's not perfect. I know he's made some mistakes, but who hadn't? But his dad was a different thing. His daddy was a hardcore faith teacher, Bible teacher. Man, it was amazing. Loved hearing John preach. And I would go down there to Houston on, on regular visits after this, but the fir- our first time down there was when he was celebrating his 50-year anniversary, and there, was di- there were dignitaries from all over everywhere that came in there. There was about 10,000 people, standing room only in the building, Anna and I was just a c- couple of country kids from West Texas, glad to be there, just happy to be there, you know, to have been invited. And we're sitting there and I'm making a list. I've still got the Bible where I made a list of all the, all the spiritual dignitaries that I knew. The, the, some of these names don't mean anything to you, but I had R.W. Schambach there. I had Norval Hayes down there. I had Bishop John Mears from Washington, D.C. there. I had K.P. Johannan who created the Jesus film that's one more people than anything in the entire history of Christianity. Uh, all these people, I just listed, list, 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 list. All my heroes were there. Ben Kinslow was moderating the thing. And there was this guy that stood up in the middle of the audience with lights and camera on him because they, they wanted him to say something, act like he was interrupting the service. And it was Jim Hester. He stood up. No, no, no. They were retelling John's story. How he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. He said, No, that's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. What you did, John Osteen, was you started messing around with those Pentecostals and got too close to the river and slipped in the bank, the banks got too close to the bank and slipped in there and you became one yourself. That's what happened to you. <laughs> And it was Jim and it was real funny. Everybody loved it because Jim's a hoot. And I said to Ann, Honey, see all these dignitaries in she said, Yeah. I said, if I could have one of these come, any one of these come, it would be Jim Hester. She said, Really? <laughs> he left it when I tell that part that Miss Ann didn't think that much of him. <laughs> really? I said, Yeah, of all the people here. And Pastor Jim was a long way around the, the auditorium from us. I could say ten thousand people in there. Come time to leave. And we started leaving. Burr, like cattle, Burr, just going where they led us, you know. little hole opened up, and we're stepping in, holding hands, you know, trying not to get separated. Fifteen or twenty minutes later, after we started moving toward the doors, we get to the back door out by the parking lot, and guess who steps right in front of us? Jim and Joanne Hester. I don't even know his wife's name at the time, but there they are. And Ann looks at me, and she says, who are you? I said i don't know she said why does the lord do this for you i said i don't know i think he just loves me she said well talk to them i said Oh, okay okay i'll talk to them uh, uh she's she elbow john hurry up they're going to get away <laughs> like like we had him on the hook you know and we <laughs> wanted to get them in the boat so i went up to him and i said brother hester i'm john holler i'm from west texas and i I'm just wondering, would there be any chance that you'd come speak at my church? Where are you from in West Texas? San Angelo. We had this nice conversation. He used to be a par, He used to be the head of mass evangelism in Texas for the Southern Baptist Convention. So he has preached in every Baptist church in Texas, every one. So he said, "I've been." He said, that, "That town's full of Baptist churches." He said, "I preached in all of them." I know how to get to San Angelo. Sure, I'll come. Just talk to Squirrel here. Squirrel. That's his wife's name, Joanne. He calls her Squirrel. Okay? She said, My real name is Joanne. I said, Okay, Miss Joanne. Yeah. Could we have, we scheduled. I, and, I said, and to make him remember me, I, it was pouring down rain as it always does in Houston, pouring down rain. I said, Could I go get your car? He said, Well, you don't have to do that. I just grabbed his keys and ran out of the parking lot, got his car and drove it up there so he could get in close. I wanted him to remember me. Yeah. He, said, that, that, he said, John, that's why I remembered you. I thought, What kind of dumb kid is this? From <laughs> the sticks, willing to get all soaking wet for me. We, I called her a few days later and got it scheduled. That, this was in April, the end of April, first of May, and got him scheduled, scheduled for September to come and speak. He came in September. But on July the 25th of that same year, 1989, my pastor died. The one and only pastor I'd ever had from Oklahoma. From, 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 he was actually from St. Joe, Missouri but from Thackerville, Oklahoma, the man that built the church there and won my family family to the Lord, baptized us all in Oklahoma water. Yes, the Red River is Oklahoma water. (laughs) For you Texans that don't know, you need a license from Oklahoma to fish in our river. (laughs) Glory to God. (laughs) And uh, that man had passed away and went to heaven, July 25th. 1989. That September, Pastor Jim comes, not knowing anything about me. He preaches on Sunday night, and Monday morning I get a call from him. He says, meet me for coffee. I said, yes, sir. Where? South Chadburn. We go to South Chadburn, the Dairy Queen there. We sit and talk. He does most of the talking because I'm crying. He just started pastoring me. He said, John, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. Four big things he told me, and I won't go into those four big things, but they were all accurate. He said, John Osteen told me to do this, this. He's personal friends with Brother John. He told me to do this, 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 and this. He said, I'm telling you, you need to do this, 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 this. He he looked at my church and saw lack and began to pastor me and help me. I said, yes, sir, I'll do it as best I can. He said, you need to do it. You need to get it done. He said, now, I know I may be hurting your feelings because I see you crying. I said, you're not hurting my feelings at all, Pastor. It's just that it's been a long time since anybody's ever actually pastored me. And I need this badly. I need somebody speaking to my life. As a matter of fact, my pastor just died this summer, and I went to Oklahoma and buried him. And I said, this was happening in San Angelo, Texas, i telling you. And I said to him, Pastor Jim, would you pray about, would you think about being my pastor? I need a pastor. I want you. I've only had one my whole life, and I want you to be my next one. He started rubbing the table with his thumb, acting like a little sheepish little boy, you know, saying, well, I don't know, John. I guess if you think I could help you, I mean, i He just became real humble and quiet. And I said, this is the man. This is the man. He's not going to lord it over me. He's going to help me. And from that time until this, he has helped me. He's on his way to heaven now. Because every time I go talk to him, he says, John, I'm so done. I'm just done. I want to go to heaven. And it stopped stopped breaking my heart. The last two times I've been with him, it stopped breaking my heart to hear him say that. He's been saying it for about three years. And the first time I heard him say it, it just tore me up because I thought, <laughs> was thinking to myself, I don't want to get another pastor. I don't want to have to go shopping again. <laughs> you know? Sometimes you have to shop till you find what you need. But he's getting ready to go now. But he's been a great joy in my life for 26 years, since 1989, pastoring me. Has it been 26? Yeah, I think so, 26 years pastoring me and loving me and rebuking me and telling me to do things I did not want to do. But every time I obeyed him, I got blessed. Every time I delayed obedience, my situation got worse. I'm preaching good right now. You don't know it, but I am. Every time I obeyed him quickly, I was blessed. Every time I put it off, my situation got worse. I could tell you about two or three situations. God knows what you need. Yes, he does. What I forgot to tell you, though, when did I tell you my old pastor, Pastor Morton in, in Thackerville, went to heaven? You remember what, what date? July 25th. July 25th. I found out years later, that's Jim Hester's birthday. <laughs> Not 1989, but, 20, <laughs> but July the 25th. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that the man that brought me up in the Lord passed away on July 25th, and the man that took over for him was born on July 25th. I felt like that was God saying it again. But if it's, if it's for me, if I need oversight, hello. Come on, look at, look at somebody and say, you do too. If I need oversight, come on, you do too. We all need it. It's not, it's not a pastor thing. It's not a believer thing. It's a Christian thing. I mean, it, you know what I mean? It's, everybody needs it. The blessing of spiritual authority. Let me, let me give you four things spiritual leadership provides, and I'm almost done. Number one, a peaceful mind. Spiritual leadership provides a peaceful mind. Because, let's, let's be honest, leaders, spiritual leaders are supposed to know what the Bible says. Every believer should know what the Bible says, but not every believer has the time to invest in the study of scriptures like I do like Miss Ann does. You have to work. you got a job. They're not going to let you pull out your Bible and study for two hours on the job. You've got to to pour your life. This is the will of God for you. Let me remind you that the first century church did not have a Bible, especially in the Gentile world. They did not carry Bibles around. The only word they ever got was the word they heard from those who were preaching the word. Are you listening to me? You're, I'm thankful you have a Bible that you can read and, and, and hear. But you still need to hear, put yourself under the hearing of the Word because faith comes by hearing the Word. And the context of Romans chapter 10 is that faith comes by hearing the Word preached, not by reading the Bible. The Bible never says that faith comes by you reading the Bible. The Bible says faith comes by hearing it preached. There's something about the connection of the anointing when it comes to you that's important. Your faith grows when you hear it preached. I said, your faith grows when you hear it preached. When you hear the word, really hear it. Amen. I take that to heart. I even read the Bible out loud to myself, just so I can hear it. Maybe you ought to try that sometime. Read the Bible out loud to yourself. But there's an interesting thing about the the peaceableness of the mind that comes. I looked it up, and I found that every single reference, the 13 letters that Paul wrote. Now, you all know my stance. Paul did not write the book of Hebrews. It is very Paul-like, but it is not what we call Pauline literature. My specialty is in Pauline literature, and I can prove to you so many ways that Paul did not write Hebrews, okay? Some say he did. They have a right to be wrong, and they are wrong. <laughs> but it, it was written by someone that influenced him, that he influenced very much. We know it's Paul-like theology, but Paul did not write it. And here's one of the reasons why. The, every... Letter of the Apostle Paul that the Apostle Paul wrote starts with anybody know what word? Paul. Paul! Every letter we know he wrote starts with Paul. Was Paul called to the Gentiles or the Hebrews? Gentiles. Gentiles. Well, he didn't write Hebrews, did he? And the book of Hebrews does not start with the word Paul. It starts with the word God. Wow. Every letter Paul writes has has this in its greeting. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7 says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 3 says, Grace unto you be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 1 2 says, Grace be to you, And peace from God our Father, And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1-3, Grace be to you, And peace from God the Father, And from our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1-2, Grace be to you, And peace from God our Father, And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1-2, Grace be unto you, And peace from God our Father, And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody get the idea? Yeah. Colossians the same thing, 1 Thessalonians the same thing, 2 Thessalonians the same thing, 1 Timothy the same thing, 2 Timothy the same thing, Titus the same thing, Philemon the same thing. Every letter he writes has these words grace and peace to you. Every one of them. Hebrews doesn't. But what what is he saying we have? Peace from God our Father. I know people who have plenty of money who would trade all their money just to have a little peace of mind. Their mind is full of fear, full of distrust, full of anxiety. And they spend their money, they pay psychiatrists $250, $300 an hour just to try to get a little peace. But this gospel offers it freely. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul kept saying it over and over and over because Paul knew that the cares of this world impact the church all the time. And if the man of God under whom they have placed themselves in authority, if the man of God did not say it, they might not get it. They might forget it. They might not receive it. That's why I keep saying to you, you are at peace with God. And this word peace is a powerful word. It's not the Hebrew word shalom. It's too small. Shalom means you're blessed. Blessed when you're coming in, blessed when you're going out. Nothing missing, nothing broken. You have, you have all you need. That's what shalom means. And that's a good word. Come on, that's a good word. Everybody say shalom. Tell somebody, shalom, shalom. Yeah, amen, amen. That's good. That's a good word. It's not near as big as the, word, the Greek word for peace. The Greek word for peace is irene. Anybody have an anti-irene? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's it. That's what irene means. E-I-R-E-N-E. 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 Irene. Irene. Irene is where it's pronounced. E-I-R-E-N-E. Irene. means peace. But it doesn't just mean peace. Here's the actual definition of the word. An end to the rage and havoc of war. A state of national tranquility. And the Apostle Paul says, from God our Father, you have an end to the rage and havoc of war. From God our Father, you have a state of national tranquility, which means that God's nation is no longer at variance with the nations of men. He made peace 2,000 years ago on a lonely cross called Golgotha. Praise God. He made peace and he got over it. He got over the sinfulness of man when he laid it all on Jesus. He accused him, blamed him, and executed him for what everyone had done or ever would do. He made Jesus responsible for every sin that went wrong. So that's why, that's why Irene means God really got over it. And now there's this great sense of national tranquility between heaven and earth. Come on, somebody say amen. You have peace of mind. If you haven't heard the gospel lately, you just heard it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again. The third day. I had a friend who had real problems with obeying authority. I mean, he had such problems with obeying authority. He thought God spoke to him all the time and nobody had any word for him ever. They, uh, we live in Dallas part-time. We live here most of the time, but I spend a lot of time in Dallas because I were in a Bible college there. And I have a, have a, uh, a little apartment there. But our school is in Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff is where you need to be armed most of the time to be there. But we don't allow guns on our campus. So we're there by faith, (laughs) amen. We're there by faith. And I had a friend who started the security service with Christ for the Nations back in the 70s, back in 1976. And this other friend, who did not like authority at all, would not lock his vehicle. He had a truck that he just refused to lock. And several nights in a row, my first friend, I'll call him Tony, because that was his name, Tony, would walk around in his security role and check door handles. And he checked Jim's door handle. I'll call him Jim because that was his name. He checked door handles. He checked Jim's door handle and the in the pickup truck door came open, and it, and it was binging, bing, bing, and looked in there, and the keys were in the car. He pulled the keys out, locked the car all up, went over to Jim's apartment, knocked on his door, Jim came all bleary out. it was one or two o'clock in the morning, came all bleary out of the door, what's going on, Tony? Jim, you need to lock your car when, at night. And Jim said the same thing, Tony said this must have happened four or five times. Jim held out his hand and said, oh, I'm not worried. That's the Lord's truck. <laughs> Took his keys. Next night, same thing. A couple nights later, the same thing. Next night, the same thing. A couple nights later, the same thing. One night, Tony's walking around doing his, doing his, making his rounds. Two o'clock in the morning, there's an empty parking space where Jim's truck normally sits. He thinks, Jim, working a night shift or something? I don't know. So he goes over and knocks on Jim's door just to see if he's home yet. Jim comes to the door, expecting, you know, he knows what this is about. He's he's got the drill down now. He opens the door, rubbing his eyes, expecting to get his keys. He said, what can I do for you, Tony? Tony said, no, nothing. I just came to tell you, God came and got his truck. Apparently. Come on, you can have a peace of mind if you stay under authority. Peace of mind if you stay under authority. You think you're under God's authority to direct, but God puts authorities in this earth for you. Your peace of mind doesn't come because, all because you know God. Your peace with God comes, hallelujah. But you put yourself under authority and stay under authority, wonderful things begin to happen. The second thing is you, there's a passion for the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy 2.4. I want you to see this one. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is the will of God for everybody to be saved. Don't believe the lie of that group that says they call themselves uh, Reformed, reformed theology. Don't believe the lie of the devil that says that God only picks some to be saved. It is the will of God for everybody to be saved. Or he wouldn't have had Jesus die for the whole world. He wouldn't have been in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It's the will of God for all men to be saved. And you get a passion for the lost. Get a passion for the lost by staying under authority. The apostle Paul is talking to Timothy. Commit to faithful men, he says in, 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 in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 2, it says, commit thou to faithful men the things that you've learned from me, that they can in turn teach others also. He talks about four generations. Him, Timothy learned from him. Commit those things, Timothy, to faithful men who can teach others also. He's talking about four generations of the gospel being shared, being, being uh, handed down from one to the other. God's will is for all men to be saved. That just tells you that that when you're under authority, you get the passion that your authorities have for winning the lost. One of the things we do here, you need to know this, one of the things we do here is we count how many people come to church every Sunday. Not because we're just into numbers, but because it helps us identify sometimes who is not here. So we can try to look around the audience and figure out who's not here to try to, Make sure we get a call in that week or pray for them at least. Do something because this, this, this relationship between pastor and flock is, is identified in the Scripture on purpose that way. That the, those in leadership will feel responsible for those who are part of the flock who don't show. Are you understanding this? It's important to us. And, it, and it's, a, it's one, of the measures, one of the measures of our ministry too. We believe that ministries ought to grow. I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't think Jesus ever established a church to stay, to, to stay small. I don't think he was saying, upon this rock I'll build my church. All six of you that can stand on this little rock right here. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. He's talking about a rock of confession upon which he can build a worldwide church. Amen. Yeah. He wants lots of people. I heard somebody, when I told this one time years ago, uh, had a, somebody come up, brother? We've never been in the numbers. I said, Well, God's in the numbers. He's even got a book in the Bible called Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> the first, the first church meetings, the first Spirit-filled church meeting, they tell us how many people were there and how many got saved. Three thousand. You all know this. How many got saved? They were. Somebody was always counting. In Jesus' myth, five thousand got fed one time. Another four thousand got fed another time. Besides women and children, you already said they were always counting because it helped them to see what they were doing was making an impact, was making a difference. You understand this? It's important to us. It's one of the ways we we judge ourselves and stay on track, making sure we're moving forward and helping people, helping people come along in the things of God. Because every soul counts to me. I want you to get the kind of passion in your heart for winning, winning souls, touching people's lives, Telling them about Jesus and preaching the real gospel to them. Stop preaching that gospel of of get right, turn or burn. Talk to them about what Christ has done for them. That they can come to know Him personally. That He loves them. And He's already paid a terrible price for them. Stop talking to them about sin. And talk to them about sin being nailed to a cross. That they can, by faith, just receive Him into their lives. Talk to them about that. Get a passion to express what Jesus died for. He wasn't dying just for sin. He was dying for them to be relieved of sin so that they could come to know him personally. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Thirdly, purposeful living. Ephesians 5.15, let's read that. 5.15, 16, 17. There's a few verses here I want to read. See then that you walk circumspectly, Ephesians 5:15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding, what the will of the Lord is. What he's really saying is: live on purpose. Don't live life as it comes. Make life happen. Live purposefully. Well, this is just my lot in life. No, 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 no. Your lot in life is not what just comes to you. You decide. Things happen. Tragedies are going to happen. The devil's going to attack you. There's no question about that. How many of you have ever been attacked by the devil? All right. That's not your life. That's the one he has planned for you. But you have a life on the inside that you make happen by your confession. I confess that I'm healed by the name of Jesus. I confess that I'm prosperous in the name of Jesus. I, I confess that my business does do well, praise God. I confess that I'm going to pass that test. You say what you want. You don't say what is all the time. If you keep saying what is, what is is what you're going to keep. How many of you could have some improvement on where you are right now? Okay, I got the right message. Praise God. Brandon Marshall, a guy you all know, he's one of the pastors in our group pastors in Granbury, Texas, he, uh, he said one time his grandpa was building a playhouse for the kids. And he's the oldest of the grandchildren. They're two or three boys and three or four girls. And all the grandkids were there. And he said, this holiday we're going to do something special. Brandon, you and I are going to build a playhouse for the rest of the kids. What? I don't, I don't want to build. I don't want to work, Paw. I want to be one of the kids that plays. No, you, 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 you're getting big enough now. You help me build. So all that weekend, he had to work with Grandpa and build this playhouse. And right just a few hours before they had to leave, they got it finished. And he said, I was always handing Grandpa his hammer, handing him his nails, and sawing something off for him. And he said, I didn't even get to play in the playhouse. When he said we were done, I was so tired I didn't want to mess with it. <laughs> but all the girls ran out there and started playing having a good time. And he said, I just went in the house and sat down with Paw. He said, but then next year, everybody came back. or the next time, next holiday, they all came back. And everybody was playing. He said, I got to play in the playhouse. He said, but I walked in on the, in the kitchen, and my grandpa was talking about building that. And every time he said it, every time he said anything about building that, he said, that's the, that's the house that, that me and Brandon built. That's the house me and Brandon built. He said, you can make up your mind right now. You're either going to be part of the fun and enjoy the thing, or you're going to be part of the story forever. But to be part of the story, you've got to be part of the cause. Come on, somebody say amen. This is powerful be a part of the story, you've got to be part of the cause. And you do things in life on purpose that way. You live purposefully. The last thing is a positive outlook. A positive outlook. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm sorry. 2 Timothy 4. Look here. This is one of the best things you get from spiritual authority. Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. What a way to to talk about being beheaded by Nero. I'm now ready to be offered. Really? Who's making this offering? Nero is. What is the offering? Paul's body. And the time of my departure is at hand. So much for the theology of soul sleeping. No, he was leaving. He was leaving. His body was going to stay on earth. Paul was buried. But he departed. The, the hope of every believer is that when your body stops working, your spirit leaves and you go to be with Jesus instantly. Verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Thee is not in there. He said what he really said was I have kept faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Oh, this is powerful. A positive outlook. I'm determined, I've determined in my mind that no sickness, no disease, no calamity, no, no terrorist, no nobody can take me out until I'm ready to go. i got two people that agree with me, three. I have determined that no sickness, no disease, no terrorist, no calamity, no nothing can take me out until I'm ready to go. Amen. Follow me. Follow me. This will help you. You make up your mind. Live your life purposefully. And, don't, and stop that nonsense. Well, his number came up. No, his number didn't come up. The only reason your number comes up is you, if you give in to the number. The Bible does not say God has a number for a li- number of days for you to live. The Bible says God will satisfy those who believe in him with long life. God didn't say he was, he's going to let you live until he's satisfied. He said he'll satisfy you with long life. Stay here and terrorize the devil for as long as you can. Amen. Glory to God. Stay here. I wish every believer could get it in their mind to live to be 100 years old. Amen. Amen. Get a positive outlook. Stay here. Live. Be strong. Don't be afraid to face life head on. George Bonner did a recent survey. which uh, He compared to regular churchgoers, compared regular churchgoers to the unattached. You know what it said? He found out four principal things about them. The unattached are more likely to feel stressed out. People that don't go to church are more likely to feel stressed out. What did we say the first thing you get by by being under authority? Peaceful Peaceful mind. He said the second thing he said was that they are less likely to be concerned about the moral condition of the nation. What do we say the second thing you get by being under spiritual authority? Passion for the lost. He said the third thing is that they're much less likely to believe that they are making a positive difference in the world. What do we say the third thing you get from spiritual authority is? Purposeful, Purposeful living. And then George Barner said they are, those on the task, those who are not in church, are, f- have le- less optimistic, are less optimistic about the future. What do we just say that we get from our spiritual authorities? Positive. A positive outlook. Of course your life is better than being under spiritual authority. Of course your life is better. Because if nothing else, when you get to glory, you have Miss Ann to blame. <laughs> I don't know, Lord. I was there. She, she just didn't tell me. <laughs> Praise God. Of course, she's going to turn around and blame me. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Thank you for your patience with me. I normally let you out before this, but. Father, I want to say thank you for your, for your people today. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. Thank you for the way this church worshiped you today. Thank you for the anointing of the Spirit. Now I'm praying for everyone here. Especially we pray for those here today gathered who have never made Jesus Lord of their lives. I pray for those who need Christ as Savior. And I pray that you will touch their hearts to to be willing to say yes today. With your heads bowed, I want to speak to you just for a moment. You need to understand that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I was called to preach the Gospel not just to preach about the Bible. If the gospel's not in it, it's not truly Bible preaching. You just heard the gospel. Christ died for you. He was buried and He rose again for you. He did all He did for you. He didn't do it for Himself. He did it for you. The Bible teaches us that if you believe this as the truth, that you'll become a new creature. And all your sins will be washed away. Everything that ever went wrong with you will come right again. And Jesus will come into your life. And you will see power like you've never known before. You'll have peace of mind. You'll have a purposeful living. You'll have a passion for the lost. You'll have a reason to have a joyful outlook. It starts with knowing Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you say, man, you're talking to me, preacher, I need to be saved today. I need to to receive this Jesus you're you're talking about. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you. This whole church is going to pray with you. But you make an action of faith by lifting your hand and say, that's me. I need God today. I need Jesus in my life today. Miss Ann felt like somebody here needed to get saved today. She brought a little booklet to give you if you're brave enough to say, that's me. I need to get right with God.